Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Fat Brands, Inc. fourth quarter and fiscal year 2022 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants have been placed in listen-only mode. Please note that this conference is being recorded today, February the 22nd, 2023. On the call from Fat Brands are President and Chief Executive Officer Andy Weirdehorn, and Chief Financial Officer, Ken Buick. This afternoon, the company made its fourth quarter and fiscal year 2022 financial results publicly available. Please refer to the earnings release and earnings supplement, both of which are available in the investors section on our website at www.fatbrands.com. My apologies, www.fatbrands.com. Each contain additional details about the fourth quarter, which closed on December 21st, 2022. But before we begin, I must remind everyone that part of the discussion today will include forward-looking statements. These forward-looking statements are not guarantees of future performance, and therefore, unduly lines should not be placed on them. Actual results may differ materially from those indicated by these forward-looking statements due to a number of risks and uncertainties. The company does not undertake to update these forward-looking statements at a later date. For more detailed discussion of the risks that could impact future opening, operating results and financial conditions, please see today's earnings release and recent SEC filings. During today's call, the company will discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which it believes can, use, can be useful in evaluating its performance. The presentation of this additional information should not be considered in isolation, nor as a substitute for results prepared in accordance with GAAP. Reconciliations to comparable gap measures are available in today's earnings release. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Andy Werderhorn, President and Chief Executive Officer. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Operator, and hello, everyone. 2022 is a big year for Fat Brands as we continue to execute on our growth and integration strategies. I would like to express my sincere appreciation to our teams, franchisees, and their employees who helped us close a record-breaking year. It is due to their hard work and dedication that we move forward with confidence and execute the incredible growth opportunity that lies ahead for Fat Brands. What was once in 2003, just Fat Burger, has now transformed itself into a 17-concept portfolio with a strong worldwide presence. We ended fiscal year 2022 with over 2,300 locations open or under construction across more than 40 countries. We currently have over 750 franchise partners with nearly half serving as multi-unit operators operating anywhere from two to 75 restaurants. To close the year, we received the prestigious honor of Public Company of the Year from the Los Angeles Business Journal, and Fat Burger was ranked as the number one burger in the USA by a Los Angeles Times food contributing writer. Pretty cool. Turning to fiscal year 2022, we grew total revenue over 240% to $407.2 million, 
from $118.9 million in the prior year. For fiscal year 2022, system-wide sales increased 108% to $2.2 billion. We leveraged this strong top-line growth into an almost 320% increase in adjusted EBITDA, ending 2022 with $88.8 million in adjusted EBITDA. Now, moving on to our most recent fourth quarter performance, total revenue grew 40% in the fourth quarter of 2022 to $103.8 million, compared to $74.2 million in the fourth quarter of 2021. The increase in total revenue was a result of three acquisitions, Twin Peaks in October 2021, and Fazoli's and Native Grilling Wings in December 2021, coupled with ongoing sales recovery from the negative effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in the prior year. We grew system-wide sales 22.1% to $532.9 million when compared to the prior year quarter of $436.3 million. And finally, comparable system-wide same-source sales increased 2.7% in the fourth quarter of 2022 and 6% for the full year. Looking at profitability, we saw an 88.5% increase in adjusted EBITDA ending the fourth quarter with $19.6 million in adjusted EBITDA. Now, I'd like to discuss our two-part growth strategy consisting of organic growth and growth by acquisition. We had strong organic growth in 2022 as demonstrated by the record opening of over 140 new units, including 44 units opening in the fourth quarter. We achieved all of this despite supply chain headwinds and permitting and construction delays. Included in the 2022 openings were the conversion of 21 Nestle cafes to Great American Cookies, as a result of the May 22 acquisition of Nestle Tollhouse Cafe by Chip franchise business. Franchisee interest is at an all-time high from new and existing franchise sales alike, which speaks volumes to our robust portfolio of brands that continue to deliver strong same-store sales and attract new fans around the globe. During 2022, we signed 110 new franchise development agreements, representing a total of 362 new stores, leading the way in new store Development amongst Fat Brands Concepts was Fat Burger and Buffalo's Express with 86 stores, Azoli's with 61, Round Table Pizza with 56, and Twin Peaks with 50 new sports lodges signed. Noteworthy, franchise deals included a combined 80-store development agreement for 40 Fat Burger and Buffalo's Express locations and 40 Round Table Pizza restaurants in Texas, a 32-store agreement for Twin Peaks in Mexico, and a 10-store agreement for Johnny Rockets in Israel. Our pipeline in total of additional restaurants to be built remains strong with signed agreements representing more than 1,000 new restaurants. This represents 43% unit growth and is worth an estimated $60 million in incremental adjusted EBITDA when it materializes over the next few years, lifting our adjusted EBITDA from approximately $90 million today to approximately $150 million. This organic growth is a naturally delevering event, and when we achieve that level of adjusted EBITDA, bring our leverage ratio down to approximately seven times our securitized debt. This year, we remain focused on converting our pipeline. Year-to-date, we have opened 26 new units, and we will continue this robust growth throughout 2023. We anticipate we will open between 150 and 175 new stores in 2023, which represents up to a 25% unit growth from 2022, and will set yet another new store opening record including a record for Q1, which would see between 50 and 60 total units open. Now, I would like to touch upon our 
polished casual strategy, specifically Twin Peaks, which we acquired in October of 2021. Since our acquisition of the brand a little over a year ago, the chain has grown over 20% from 80 to 96 units open. We have plans to build another 18 to 20 restaurants in 2023, and therefore we will be quickly surpassing the key milestone of 100 units, ending the year with approximately 115 lodges, and yet another year of approximately 20% growth, or said differently, approximately 40% unit growth in just two years. New stores are seeing AUVs north of $6 million, and some locations in Florida are generating between 9 and $12 million each. A focus for 2023 is to identify opportunities to accelerate Twin Peaks openings in our pipeline based on the strong unit economics and the long-term growth potential we see for the brand. As we look across our portfolio of brands, another area of focus for 2023 is our co-branding and tri-branding strategy. In November, we opened our first tri-branded location, which consists of a Fatburger, Buffalo's Express, and Hot Dog on a Stick in the Los Angeles neighborhood of Valley Village. This year, we will look to pair Fatburger and Roundtable Pizzas, as well as Johnny Rockets and Hot Dog on a Stick. We've seen great success with co-branding and now tri-branding as it drives sales and enables us to grow margins through a combined menu approach. We presently have more than 200 co-branded locations, mainly consisting of our Fatburger Buffalo's Express model or Marble Slab Great American Cookie pairing. Additionally, we have jump-started a new initiative to place more focus on non-traditional growth in 2023 and beyond, which includes opening in airports, universities, amusement parks, hospitals, and stadiums, as we see great value in these venues. Our manufacturing facility is another important part to our growth story, as it produces pretzel mix and cookie dough for several of our brands. For the fiscal year 2022, the manufacturing facility contributed $33.5 million in sales and added approximately $15 million in EBITDA to the business. We believe our factory business today is in its early stage of growth and is only operating at about one-third capacity, which provides significant room for expansion. We have launched an initiative to distribute cookie dough and other dessert products to many of our other brands, including ovens to bake that cookie dough and sell fresh hot cookies. This will materially grow our factory EBITDA. Further, to ramp up utilization of the excess factory capacity, Fat Brands may serve as a third-party manufacturer for other companies, and we may also acquire a business that requires factory production. As a result of the May 2022 Nestle Toll House Cafe by Chip franchise business acquisition, we're now able to produce cookie dough in-house for those Nestle franchisees who have converted to Great American Cookie. This allows the franchisees to buy the cookie dough at an approximately 20% discount, and we're also able to capture the manufacturing revenues which contribute to our EBITDA. To date, we have converted approximately 35 Nestle Toll House Cafe stores to Great American Cookies and approximately 25 or so more units to follow this year. Now, turning to Fat Brand's second strategic pillar, growth by acquisition. Going forward, we plan to lean into the expansion of our high-growth brands, particularly our sports lodge category, including considering potential strategic acquisitions of concepts with locations that can be converted into Twin Peaks and opportunities that would continue to expand our factory business. We're also looking at other categories to round out our portfolio, such as salad, sandwich, or coffee. We continue to look for brands with a proven track record of long-term, sustainable, and profitable operating performance. We are seeing a number of opportunities in the current environment and expect to see more in the coming months as valuations continue to come down. Now, turning to our balance sheet, during the quarter, we announced the redemption of approximately 1.8 million shares of our eight and a quarter Series B cumulative preferred stock from an affiliate of Garnet Station Partners for $43.2 million. 
these shares were redeemed at a price of $23.69 per share, plus accrued and unpaid dividends to the date of redemption. The redemption of this tranche of Series B preferred stock will yield significant cash flow savings for that brand as our securitization facility, which funded the transaction, has a lower cost of capital than the effective dividend rate on the redeemed preferred stock. We are also actively working towards the redemption of another approximately $92 million of Series B preferred stock issued in connection with the 2021 acquisitions of Global Franchise Group and Twin Peaks. In addition, we are pursuing the rating and or refinancing of our different securitization facilities, beginning with FAT Royalty 2021 and FAT GFG 2021 securitization trusts. During the quarter, we strengthened our leadership team with the hiring of our first chief growth officer, Jeremy Tyson. Jeremy joined Fat Brands with over 20 years of experience in significantly increasing the revenue stream for high-growth startups in the restaurant sector and will be focused on spearheading the growth of the development pipeline across the Fat Brands portfolio. This includes bringing new franchisees into the system and driving multi-unit expansion with existing franchisees. His experience of quickly scaling companies from startups to industry leaders aligns with our fast-paced growth mentality. Jeremy is a great addition to our team to drive this growth forward exponentially in the years to come. Further, we appointed Mark Avery as our Global Head of Partnerships and Supply Chain Strategy, as well as our Senior Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. I'm also proud to report that our recently formed Fat Brands Foundation, a 501c3 organization, is up and running with its own board of directors. The mission of the foundation is to change the lives by supporting local causes that uplift and unite Fat Brands communities. The foundation will look to partner with local nonprofits to provide essential programs to help families and communities thrive. The foundation was seeded with a $250,000 donation from Fat Brands, Inc. to start things off, and our franchise partners, their employees and our corporate employees, and brand partners can contribute as well. Fat Brands is covering 100% of the administrative costs of the organization, so 100% of the money raised will go to the beneficiaries. In summary, I would like to reiterate that 2022 was a great year and 2023 is off to a strong start as franchisee interest remains high. We are excited to accelerate the build-out of our 1,000-unit organic pipeline of new stores, which will drive EBITDA growth in the years to come. We have a strong management team in place and a robust platform that supports the expansion of our existing brands while enabling the accretive acquisition and efficient integration of additional restaurant concepts with minimal overhead. We look forward to updating you on our progress on future calls. We sincerely appreciate you joining us today and for your interest in Fat Brands. And with that, I would like to hand it over to Ken to talk about our financial highlights from the quarter. Ken. Thanks, Andy. Our total revenue during the fourth quarter increased 40% to $103.8 million, reflecting revenue contributions from the acquisition of Twin Peaks in October of 2021 and the acquisitions of Fazoli's and Native Grill and Wings in December of 2021. And for ease, I'll refer to these as the fourth quarter 2021 acquisitions. Additionally, revenue benefited from the ongoing recovery from the negative effects of COVID-19 in the fourth quarter of last year. Costs and expenses increased to $136.4 million in the fourth quarter, compared to $77 million in the year-ago quarter, primarily due to the fourth quarter 2021 acquisitions. Included in costs and expenses, general and administrative expense increased to $39.1 million in the fourth quarter from $21.6 million in the prior year period, 
primarily related to the fourth quarter 2021 acquisitions, increased compensation costs related to our significant expansion, legal fees, and a $16.1 million non-cash reserve on claimed employee retention tax credits recorded during the quarter based on the governing accounting standard. Cost of restaurant and factory revenues increased to $61.7 million in the fourth quarter compared to $36.9 million in the prior year period, primarily related to the fourth quarter 2021 acquisitions, including the operations of the acquired company-owned restaurant locations. During the fourth quarter of 2022, we recognized $14 million of non-cash trademark impairment, primarily resulting from the significantly increased interest rate environment and its inherent effect on our discounted future cash flow calculations. Depreciation and amortization expense increased to $6.9 million in the fourth quarter from $5.3 million in the year-ago quarter, attributable to the fourth quarter 2021 acquisitions, including depreciation of acquired company-owned restaurants and the amortization of acquired intangible assets. Refranchising losses in the fourth quarter were $3.1 million and were comprised of restaurant costs and expenses net of food sales. Refranchising losses in the fourth quarter of the prior year, 2021, were $1 million and were comprised of $2.1 million of restaurant operating costs, net of food sales, partially offset by $1.1 million in net gains related to refranchised restaurants. Advertising expense was $11.6 million in the fourth quarter compared to $9.9 million in the prior year period. These expenses vary in relation to the advertising revenue and reflect advertising expenses related to the fourth quarter 2021 acquisitions, including company-owned restaurant locations and also an increase in customer activity. Uh, other expense for the quarter was $24.2 million compared to $17.1 million in the year-ago quarter uh, and was primarily comprised of interest expense on our securitizations. Our income tax provision for the quarter was $14 million compared to a benefit of $200,000 in the prior year quarter, primarily driven by a $20.4 million non-cash valuation allowance related to naked indefinite live tax credits. Net loss for the quarter was $70.8 million or $4.29 per diluted share, compared to a net loss of $19.6 million or $1.38 per diluted share in the prior year quarter. On an as-adjusted basis, our net loss was $43 million, or $2.60 per diluted share, compared to $16.5 million, or $1.16 per diluted share in the prior year quarter. And turning to cash flows, it's worth noting that our $70.8 million net loss for the quarter included a $20.4 million non-cash valuation allowance on naked indefinite life tax credits, a $16.1 million non-cash reserve on claimed employee retention tax credits, a $14 million non-cash trademark impairment charge, $6.9 million of non-cash depreciation and amortization, $4.8 million of non-recurring litigation expense, $1.6 million of non-cash share-based compensation, and $800,000 of non-cash lease expense. And the total of the non-cash items 
portion of this and our net loss was $59.8 million. And with that, Judith, please open the line for questions. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now be conducting the question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star then one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate that your line is in the question queue. You may press star two to leave the question queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. The first question comes from Joe Gomez of Noble Capital. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking the questions. Hi, Joe. Hey, Joe. So I want to start out, Andy. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm looking at the full year, um, you came in a little bit above revenues, and you know, you're talking about a 400 million revenue run rate. Um, and but on EBITDA, you, you came in a little bit lower than your 90, 95 million rate for the year modestly below admittedly um but you also had, had thought you know the fourth quarter ebitda number would be similar to the third quarter third quarter came in a little over 24 this quarter came in a little under 20. um just want to maybe give us a little detail uh on the adjusted ebitda number would, would cause it to come in a little bit below expectations you bet uh, it's a good question and uh, not something we're, that we're entirely happy about, but I think we're we, we've you know we're aware of it and have addressed it. And it really comes down to a few things. We have some stores that slipped into Q1 that didn't get open in Q4, particularly um, a couple of Twin Peaks lodges uh, that slipped into Q1, and that you know affects uh, some of our opening revenues. And that's really from permitting and construction delays that have just been annoying all year. Um, hard to understand how. Everyone was work from home and then back to work, and yet um, you know, the government did, wasn't laying off people, and, and yet we've had all these delays with construction permits in different towns. So that's been one contributor. We also saw margin compression on our company-owned stores with Fazoli's, and we saw some margin con um, compression at our factory and our manufacturing business, both of which we reacted to quickly with uh, additional price increases to maintain our margin, but there's a slight lag effect to get that in place each time. and so. We felt like we lost a little bit of money in, at the factory, a little bit of money operating the company-owned stores than we, than we wanted to in terms of less margin, and then the delay from those new store openings. It's really those three items um, you know, that, that mostly affect it. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, and on the manufacturing facility utilization, um, you know, you've talked about that you know, basically since you, since you acquired the, the facility, um, you know, see that, you know, with the um, – you know, the Nestle's acquisition is, is, you know, slightly bringing up facility utilization. But you've also talked about, you know, the, the program, I think now, I can't remember exactly when you, you hired the, the person to come in to really oversee those efforts. Any kind of timing that you might look at and saying, hey, you know, we've got some stuff that's really close or in the next quarter or two that, you know, we think are going to – help uh, start increase that utilization, you know, to the 50% or 60% level? Yeah, um, it's a really good question. It also uh, you know, is very strategic for us because we think that that factory uh, has tremendous value. Um, we think that longer term, call it 24 months or so, um, that factory 
could create a, a massive liquidity event for us um, in, in some sort of a, you know, a, a sale or something to that effect, and that would pay down a lot of debt, delever us, and we really have the opportunity to grow EBITDA before that at the factory to get a big number. Um, we are deep in the weeds on negotiating third-party manufacturing uh, opportunities for the factory. That's why I referenced it in my, in my remarks earlier, and I expect that by Q2 uh, we'll be able to report that we have some third-party manufacturing going on that's utilizing excess capacity. And even more importantly and opportunistically, we have expanded our uh, distribution of the cookie dough and pretzel mix uh, and other dessert mix items like brownie mix to many more of our restaurants in the portfolio, probably another 700 restaurants. And that will, uh, over Q2 and over Q3, including the distribution of ovens to restaurants that need ovens to bake the cookies, some of them already have ovens, uh, like a round table pizza or Fazoli's, but, but some of the burger brands do not. So distributing ovens to all of the franchisees and distributing cookie dough so they can make hot, fresh cookies and serve them uh, in the restaurants, that will generate uh, uh, significant additional dough and, and other dessert item sales and use up some of that capacity. So we're all over it. It's taken a while to get it figured out, and now we're in the middle of implementing it, shipping ovens and, and training and we expect to roll that out over uh, the rest of Q1 and during Q2, in addition to that third-party manufacturing. So the factory is very, very busy, and all of the things we've been talking about for the factory are happening right now. And over Q2 and Q3, we look forward to reporting that to um, shareholders so they can they can follow it closely. Okay, great. Um, and then, you know, when, when you're reading through the release and you talk about some of the expenses in, in you know, G&A, and you know Ken did a great job of going over those, but but one of the things you call out um, in the press release is you know the cost of pending litigation and government investigations. Is there any update there that you can provide on those? Well, you um, as has been said before, um, SEC investigation is never good for shareholders just because of the cost, and um, we are. Uh, we've made uh, significant progress um, in terms of responding to the, the inquiries that we received uh, related to the government investigation. I don't think that there's much more to respond to. Um, I think that uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some sort of resolution as we finish uh, the year. These things go slow. They can take years, as you know, uh, but hopefully uh, we'll see the legal expenses uh, shrink here significantly. We do have... Um, opportunities for insurance, defense, coverage, and recovery for some of these things, but none of that is reflected in our financials. We haven't seen insurance companies write checks yet, although um, we firmly believe that we're covered under our policies and we are pursuing recovery against those carriers. So you know how that goes sometimes where you have to, you have to actually file an action or commence arbitration or mediation to get coverage. We've done all of those things, and uh, we think that we'll move it along uh, nicely here. There's also – it's not just a government investigation. We also have – um, two derivative cases outstanding. Remember, in Q3 of last year, we settled one shareholder class action case, which was good to get behind us and save um, further legal fees. But we've had um, you know, plenty of discovery and things like that in the uh, two derivative cases. We hope that those cases will be resolved during this calendar year and to get all of this legal expense to go away once and for all. That would be great. Um, and also, you know, looking at um, some of the tables uh, in the release, uh, you know, bad debt expense increased, you know, significantly quarter over quarter. What, hopefully it's some of those other line yeah, items that, that you that's, um, out. Yeah, the, sure. The, so bad debt expense is really the um, reserve 
for the employee retention tax credits. These are credits that we've filed for in our tax returns. We've received a significant portion of the money already and expect to receive the rest of the money, but uh, given the accounting literature is not very clear on how and when you can book this ultimately, we've been very conservative and reserved 100% for uh, these credits. So, you know, it's odd that we've received the money in most cases and yet we've fully reserved for it, but that's what that is. It's not, it's not actual um, or any significant amount of that is not actually franchisees not paying their bills. It's just um, the reserve for the tax credits. Um, and the other thing is, like, the, we have the impairment loss and we have the income tax provision. Those are non-cash items. The income tax provision is is literally a, a mismatch of the timing of the amortization of assets or amortization of liabilities, and uh, it's not something where we write a check. Um, it's just a reserve, if you will, or a deferred tax liability. And, you know, impairment is the same thing. You know, you take impairment if, uh, unfortunately, if the interest rate environment moves against you, you have to take impairment. And uh, it's, you know, related to your cost of financing, essentially, but and your valuation, but it's uh, non-cash, and it's not something we're writing a check for. So, as Ken said, approximately $60 million of the $70 million of loss for the quarter was all non-cash. Right, right, exactly, okay. And one one more from me, if, if I, I may. You mentioned, again, the you know, looking at, you know, the, the re-rating and, and um, hopefully refinancing of some of the uh, um, the, the debt um, and also the, the pay, hopefully the payoff of the or pay down of the series preferred. Um, any timing on, on when those things might occur? Well, I think that uh, it, it's just a little bit subject to market conditions and, and how um, things are going. It's not easy to accomplish refinancing in an you know, upward rising rate environment where rates have moved 375 basis points already from where we locked this in. So, I mean, everyone knows that we have 30-year non-recourse securitized debt that is fixed rate. And so those rates in 2021 that were fixed look pretty good today compared to um, you know, the current environment. Yet we have bondholders that would like to see us refinance some of that debt and you know, create liquidity there, and we are doing our best to do that and expect that we'll figure something out along those lines for some of that debt um, in the coming quarter or two. We just can't guarantee it, of course, but we don't have a gun to our head. We don't have to do that. This, this debt is you know, set up for a long time before it really amortizes with every, at, at any significant level. So um, we'll, we'll see a 1% increase at the end of the summer and uh, a 2% amortization, that those are annual numbers, that would kick in. But even you know, amortization is, is paying down principal. That's not an expense. And 1% increase is nothing compared to where rates are today. So you know, we want to work constructively with the bondholder community to make this work for them and make this work for the company, and, and we're meeting with them um, in, in the coming days to try to hammer that out. On the preferred side of things, you know, one sort of follows the other. We need to understand where the refinancing opportunities lie and what works for the bondholder community, and then it will enable us to address uh, repurchasing or redeeming the remaining preferred. Everyone in 2021, when we were on our acquisition binge and making, um, you know, and, and issuing securitizations uh, to fund, fund those, which was you know, very novel to use securitization facilities for acquisition financing, everyone expected that the equity markets would remain robust in early 2022, and the interest rate environment at that time was, was going to be solid also and not be moving so dramatically against us. And so we thought we would issue equity in the first half of 2022 and redeem that preferred and maybe um, 
you know, then get the refinancing done in the summer of 2022, and of course the world changed. We're very fortunate that we have 30-year fixed-rate debt. I mean, that's you know, at, at a 2021 level, which we thought was a little bit high then, now looks pretty darn good. So, you know, we, we want to make this work for the bondholder community, and so we're, we're dedicated to, to attempting to do that. But that's sort of the history of it. It's not, um, you know, not that anybody isn't doing what they said they were going to do. It's that rates changed so much, it just shook everybody to the core of how do you how do you fix this now? And the and the bigger picture, as you know uh, from your coverage is that we really have some crown jewels in our portfolio that pay off all the debt over a relatively short period of time you know this manufacturing business at one-third capacity um, if you know if we grow at, at 15 million of EBITDA if we grow it to two-thirds or 30 million of EBITDA or you know whatever that thing is worth three or four hundred million dollars it's a huge pay down of our of our debt facility and um, you know would um, really you know go a long way to delivering us in addition to all the organic growth we have and then finally the twin peaks franchise you know again just hitting the ball out of the park um, some construction delays but margins are solid growth is solid franchise commitment to build new locations um, 20 stores last year um, another or sorry 16 stores in the last uh, 14 months another approximately 20 stores in the next 12 months and another 20 stores after that I mean that takes that brand materially upwards in scale and that, that brand could be a 700 to a billion dollar brand you know in, in a number of years and so with that opportunity that would clean up all the rest of the debt uh, in you know a few years so we really have some some key liquidity events out there two years three years five years that that you know, are, are very interesting to shoot for and that's really what we're focused on right now we don't feel compelled to want to buy another brand because we have so many great brands and we have so much pipeline already out there of additional stores signed up, paid for, ready to, to be opened by the franchise groups that, you know, only if it makes strategic sense to drive the manufacturing facility or to drive the sports lodge business, you know, are we going to really make an acquisition that, that's material? I and mean, it doesn't mean there aren't little bolt-on things here or there that make sense. And like, like I said, we don't have a salad concept or a coffee concept or a sandwich concept. That would be good to have in the portfolio, but not something that's critical right now and not something in this interest rate environment that we feel compelled to borrow money at, at a you know, higher rate. We want to delever right now and not increase our leverage. And uh, unless it's very strategic, we're, we're going to execute by growing out that pipeline organically first. Thanks for that, Andy. I really am excited to see how 23 unfolds for the company. Thanks for taking the questions. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Greg Portanov, who's a private investor. Hey, Andy, how are you? Hi, Greg. Hey. All right, a couple, couple questions. Uh, so Joe asked a question earlier. You gave it three reasons why the EBITDA was lower. Have, have all those been resolved? So in the next quarter going forward, we'll see higher numbers? Higher EBITDA. Yeah, we, we, we expect that um, the margins um, will show improvement at Fazoli's and at the manufacturing facility. We've taken price increases and they're in uh, you know, full effect for Q1 so that we're not, there's a lag effect there. So we're, we're looking forward to that. On the new store opening side, we'll get you know, two, store, two stores open at um, Twin Peaks and we have a whole bunch of stores. We'll hit 60 or 65, 50, 50 to 60 stores, sorry, um, of new store openings across the entire portfolio. So I think that we've addressed that. And, and you know, there's always seasonality, there's weather, um, things like that that affect your quarter to quarter. Um, you know, we don't think that we'll have, um, you know, uh, some of those issues we had before in Q4. Okay. Thank 
Okay. Oh, can you tell me what or tell us what the cash uh, on hand is at this point? Um, it'll be reflected in the balance sheet in our 10K that we uh, file in two days, but there's plenty of cash on hand. Okay. Are you prepared this time to give a EBITDA estimate for 2023? We're not giving guidance for 2023, just given the inflationary environment. Um, you know, we we hope that. Um, it's certainly going to be in line or exceed uh, the 2022 numbers, but we're not giving um, a specific number yet. Um, there's too much economic uncertainty out there, and we want to know where the um, refinancing effort uh, comes out. Okay. Um, uh, as far as refinancing, it sounds like what, what would I know the bondholders want you to do it, but why would we want to do it? I haven't heard you or anything in this conversation that would give us a reason to have our rates go up more than the 1% that they will automatically. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a delicate uh, partnership with, you know, with bondholders who want to see liquidity in their, in their portfolio positions. Uh, we want to try to get these bonds rated, either the existing bonds or new bonds. Creating, you know, getting a rating on your bonds creates tremendous liquidity uh, for you know investors, and that's that's something that ultimately drives the cost down significantly. So that's important to do if we can do it. Uh, but there's you know there, it's only worth so much, right? There's there's deal expenses, there's change in rates, and there's change in terms and things like that. So it's got to be the right deal for us. The um, you know as, as we talked about, the one percent increase in rates does you know is, isn't so painful compared to what current rates are. But that doesn't mean that the uh, a current refinancing has to be priced you know where current rates for a new deal is just because, um, you know, they're existing holders. So there's, there's all kinds of things we could do to modify the existing structure. Um, you know, we'd like to avoid today the 2% amortization, but we're prepared to make it if we need to make it, and we believe we have adequate cash flow to do so. So, you know, I, I feel like we're in, in the right position. If we can create liquidity, we can generate more runway. You know, this is sort of a uh, we want to make sure we have plenty of runway to build out that pipeline and fill up that factory to create a liquidity event. And, and so that's a couple of years. So we want to make sure we have a really good line of sight for a couple of years because, you know, none of us know how far up they're going to hike rates, how bad that's going to impact demand. And we're not seeing it yet. Consumers are still flocking to the restaurant. Sales are, um, you know, are positive. Sales year to date are, are very positive, um, high single digits. Um, so, um, uh, that's an aggregate across all of them. So we're we're really happy with business, but we want to be prepared and just in case the consumer falls off the edge of a cliff or something else goes on, we want to make sure we have tons of liquidity. And so that is that is relevant. And and you know our bondholders are very supportive of us, and we want to try to be supportive for them. But you know it can't be at a ridiculous cost. Okay, two more quick ones. So you, I, I think you just said it, but just to confirm, comp store sales for in the aggregate for the first, so far for the first quarter are up high single digits. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, last question. So, uh, corporate America seems to be downsizing quite a bit. Near the overhead and the expenses for the company have been, you know, are getting up there. Do you have any plans or any ability to cut some overhead in the corporate structure? Yeah, you're always looking at your uh, your overhead structure, right? It's something that you have to do every year, and you know we've identified. Uh, a few areas where we could make some changes and will make some changes this quarter uh, to, you know, um, establish some material savings uh, from our annual adjusted EBITDA or quarterly adjusted EBITDA. So, yes, that is underway today, and 
uh, you know, it's not, it's not huge, but it's meaningful. And, and it's, it, you know, you just have to look at, do we overhire? Are we getting the execution that we want uh, or the synergies that we want? And is it working at every level? And there's always opportunity to change that. So we are all over it like everyone else is. And it is a Q1 um, agenda item. Okay. Thanks, Andy. Uh, looking forward to a good uh, 23. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we have reached the end of the question and answer session. I will now turn the call over to Mr. Andy Bedehorn for closing remarks. Dr. Thank you. I want to thank all of you for joining us and hope that uh, you all have a great afternoon, a great evening. Uh, and anyone, feel free to um, follow up again if you have um, additional questions. Thank you. This concludes the call, Operator. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference. Thank you for your participation and you may now disconnect your lines.